Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Hokie Hangover Podcast. I am Andrew Alex from ESPN Blacksburg, right down here in the New River Valley. I am joined today by the normal suspects. All the way from the 757, we have Mr. Ricky LeBlue. Ricky, what's going on, dog? Oh, you know, just another beautiful, wonderful day here. It's actually been beautiful and wonderful today outside, and I'm on a little staycation here so i've been able to enjoy it and the goal is to maybe get around to golfing tomorrow so uh can't complain that sounds good to me brother and live from interstate 81 heading down to the beautiful city of gatlinburg tennessee we have mike mcdaniel mike what's going on what's up guys the joy of modern technology allows me to call in to record our podcast and make sure i don't miss a week so i'm all about it and Mike, quickly before we start, I just want to say congratulations, man. Mike, signing on to write for SonsOfSaturday.com. Sons of Saturday, obviously a very good, very popular Virginia Tech podcast. They have expanded into a website, and they have brought with them the wonderful writing talents of our own Mike McDaniel. So, Mike, congratulations, man. Thanks, man. I'm, I'm fortunate here before the season starts in, in a few weeks to have somewhere to write because um, I know most of you listening to this know that, unfortunately, we were all laid off from Sports Illustrated last week. Um, so I'm just happy I have an outlet where I, I can still write because as much as I love making podcasts and videos and everything else, I really love writing a lot. So just being able to still do that with the season approaching is something I'm very fortunate for. Indeed. Indeed. And we're all very happy for you that you have that opportunity. It, for my projections, the only thing it can be is a massive success, but let's get to something that hasn't been a success so far. And that is NC state's ability to contain the coronavirus within their student athlete population. NC State has had to postpone all athletic activities temporarily for about two weeks because they had a minor, well, I mean, that depends on what you define minor as major. They had about 22 cases of COVID-19 within their athletic department. As such, you take off two weeks, you play Virginia Tech in two and a half weeks, that's not really enough time to prepare. The bad news, because of that, the game postponed. The good news, Virginia Tech and NC State coincidentally have the same bye week in week three. So the game will be moved back two weeks. Virginia Tech now opening with the Commonwealth Cup rematch against the University of Virginia. That game's going to take place in Blacksburg. Mike, I'm going to start off with you. Does the fact that the season hasn't even started yet, but we're already seeing a postponement, 
we're already seeing potential issues, and we haven't even gotten to week one. Does this make you less confident in the ACC's ability to play this season? Well, I mean, not necessarily. Um, I know the situation at NC State isn't really good at the moment, but uh, what we're seeing, and and Notre Dame, I know, came out with some numbers today, uh, their lowest amount of positive tests on campus since the students returned. So that's a move back in the right direction out in South Bend. Um, a lot of people were talking about how how good of a job Notre Dame was doing at containing the virus, and then everybody came back to school, and it was a nightmare for them. And now the positivity rate is going way down at ND, which is a positive sign, uh, no pun intended. So I, I just – it's all going to be about the school's ability to kind of weather the storm in regard to uh, these positive tests. When kids come back to campus, it's inevitable they're going to test positive, right? It's just a matter of how do you contain that. And, and that's something we've talked about on the show a couple times now. It, it's all going to be about the school's contingency plan to kind of weather the storm. I thought what was interesting, like Oklahoma, for example, um, and I know this is outside the ACC, but it's still relevant. Lincoln Riley had a press conference yesterday when he, where he talked about, hey, you know, we're doing a pretty good job overall, we feel like, um, making sure that we're keeping our kids safe and as safe as they can be. But at the same time, he also spoke to the fact that they had an entire position group, all but one person that was wiped out um, and couldn't practice and was in quarantine due to testing positive for the virus. So uh, there's two sides to every coin. Um, it's just going to be the risk appetite of these conferences and how much risk they're willing to take on um, with these kids testing positive. And I think even more importantly, you know, the individual school's plans to uh, kind of remediate any issues that crop up in regards to the coronavirus. It's just, it's just going to be kind of an up-and-down battle they're going to have to deal with this year. It just kind of is what it is at this point. Yeah, it's not something that people should be surprised by. Uh, this this had to be expected. Um, anyone who had any kind of foresight had to have known you were going to have at least one or two programs, probably more in the coming weeks, uh, that end up with a cluster. Um, and I commend NC State for doing the best they can to try and get this isolated. I think delaying the game is really the only option at this point. Um, and it, it just, I, I wonder if maybe they built the schedule. So if something like this happened, um, there would be a way to go ahead and easily move the game back into a bye week. So it sucks in the sense that Tech's going to be playing 10 games in 10 weeks, and they're not going to have a bye week during that stretch. Um, that's unfortunate, but this is really the only option at this point. Um, and as we'll get into here shortly, I'm sure it presents quite the opening challenge here for Virginia Tech versus the Cavs. Yeah, it, it's definitely an interesting situation. And what I'm most curious about is, what does the ACC have in place if this happens again? Now, Virginia Tech already using one of their bye weeks, I mean, you know, essentially starting on a bye and using one of their bye weeks, which means they're going to have to play 10 consecutive games to end the season. Now, this isn't something that's ever happened in recent history. I believe the last time Virginia Tech played 10 consecutive games to end the season was back in 1995, actually a pretty successful season for the Hokies. Nonetheless, it kind of worries me because what happens if Virginia Tech has an outbreak later in the season or, you know, say Pitt or Miami do, where do you put 
that rescheduled game. Looking at the schedule as it's written, I'm not really sure. But touching on just the fact that as it stands right now, Tech does have to play 10 consecutive games. Is that something that's going to put them at a disadvantage? It's, it's certainly not ideal, is it? No, I mean, it's not ideal. And I don't think it's really advantageous to them at all. I mean, I, especially in this environment with COVID, like you're going to want to put yourself in a situation where you have a week to recover if you think that, you know, your kids have multiple positives or multiple kids are, you know, in quarantine or whatever it may be. Like you want to build in that time. And now they don't have that that benefit early in the year like they did originally. Um, now it's 10 consecutive weeks, and the first bye week for Virginia Tech now isn't until the week before Clemson to close out the season. So, yeah, it's going to be different for sure, but I'm also willing to bet that this isn't the first game for Virginia Tech to get to move this fall either. So Tech could end up with a bye week somewhere along the line just because of the nature of the situation. Maybe it's Virginia Tech with a bunch of players testing positive. I hope that's not the case, but – Who's to say? So I'm willing to bet this isn't the first game that gets rescheduled for Virginia Tech this fall. Um, I, I doubt that Virginia Tech goes a full 10 weeks playing games. Um, I think that there will be a, another week that has to get uh, modified in, in some form or fashion, just given the nature of the environment that we're in. Ricky, I, I, I was thinking about this. The way that the schedule is written, like I said, all those consecutive games – Virginia Tech with the open week in week one. At first, my thought process was, okay, let's move the UVA game up to week one. That's easy. At the end of the day, though, it was pointed out by uh, Chris Coleman from Tech Sideline on Twitter that UVA would then have a bye week in week two and week three. They're not going to do that. Do you think, given the Hokies have Liberty later in the season liberty not scheduled to play a game on september 12th if you're with babcock are you calling up the people in lynchburg and saying hey can we get this moved up a little bit earlier please um probably not i think at this point justin fuente would rather just focus on virginia there's a, th- th- there's been way too too many changes to justin fuente's normal structure to this point and i don't think that they would welcome another one um, it would probably be better for the fans. I think the fans would rather have Liberty uh, before Virginia as sort of a warm-up game. But at this point, it is what it is. You have to cut your losses. Um, and, and, and quite honestly, I think having that Liberty game placed where it is is advantageous in the sense that that game can probably be moved a lot easier than other games, given that Liberty's schedule is kind of all over the place right now. Um, so if you, if you were in a situation where you needed to move an ACC game to a different week, uh, I think you would have a lot easier time moving that game to the week you were scheduled to play Liberty. Um, and you wouldn't have that situation if you're pulling Liberty up now and then you start messing with things. So I think they just need to leave it the way it is. Um, stick with it, move forward, um, get and start preparing for Virginia. Mike. As it was previously scheduled in, you know, the dawn of when the schedule was released, UVA was scheduled to play VMI in week one. Obviously, as we know, NC State was supposed to play Virginia Tech in week one. Neither of those games now happening because of 
NC State's problems with COVID-19, VMI just outright canceling their season altogether. That means Virginia Tech and Virginia will both go into the game with absolutely no tape on these 2020 squads for the other team. Who does that benefit more, UVA or Tech? I think it benefits Tech more. Tech's bringing more back. They're not trying to replace a quarterback. Um, I, I think UVA would have really benefited from having VMI in that week one. Um, you know, the, the ability to have the new quarterback that you're breaking in be able to get a warm-up game under their belt before playing Virginia Tech in Blacksburg in week two would have been extremely advantageous. Now, taking that aside, uh, you know, just both teams being on the field, I mean, it's going to be sloppy anyway. Um, these two teams are playing in their first game of the season. Um, there's going to be areas that are sharp. There's also going to be areas that aren't really where they need to be. And that's something that always happens year over year. You know, you're never as good in in week one as you eventually are later in the season. So um, from that standpoint, it's a wash. But from the standpoint of just roster composition and given what Virginia Tech has coming back, there's more continuity on both sides of the football for the Hokies than there is for UVA. Um, so the fact that they're both now uh, having their uh, opening games canceled, I think it definitely benefits Virginia Tech more at this point in time than it would for UVA. I see it differently. I think having a game of tape for Keaton Thompson or Brendan Armstrong would be a huge boon to Justin Hamilton and, and his defensive staff, and they're not going to have that, that game of tape anymore. Um, I don't even know who the hell is going to be starting for, for UVA week one. Um, I, I may have just missed it, but uh, having having some tape on one of those guys to be able to see at least what UVA feels comfortable putting out there on the field would have made a big difference for Justin Hamilton and his staff. But now they're going in completely blind. Um, they have very limited tape on Brennan Armstrong, given that he hasn't played all that much. There is some tape of Keaton Thompson from Mississippi State, uh, so they can probably go back to that. But they're they're not, they're not going to have any idea as to how the staff is going to want to use Keaton Thompson. Uh, you can you can maybe think or say that they're going to use him in similar ways that they would use Bryce Perkins, but Bryce and Keaton, besides their athleticism, are, are not the same guy. And I don't think that UVA is going to be able to pull off a lot of the stuff um, that they did with Bryce with Keaton Thompson. So. Uh, I, I do think that this benefits Virginia slightly in the sense that th there's a bit more of a fog of war when it comes to their starting quarterbacks. I mean, Mike, I understand your point, but I'm definitely more on Ricky's side here because Bryce Perkins was such a transformational centerpiece of that UVA offense that preparing for Virginia with Bryce Perkins at the helm, you know, required an extreme amount of focus on him and his talent and his skill set and what he brought to the table. And without him and without Dubois and without Joe Reed, what is the focus of this offense? We don't necessarily know. We don't, we just don't have the tape that I, I think could be somewhat of a disadvantage. I mean, on the other side, you have to your advantage, a UVA team that's coming in, having never played a real game with their current roster formation. And once, like you said, 
when you lose Bryce Perkins, you're losing a lot. And they're kind of got to figure out who they are. And playing against a very experienced Virginia Tech team is going to be a tough place to do it. So I think there's pros and cons on both sides. But it does it does somewhat worry me that we just know nothing about what their offense is going to look like. And the question is, do they really know what their offense is going to look like? Last time we were here, though, me and Ricky were ranting and raving about the Big Ten's decision to cancel the season. Here we are, a couple weeks away from the season. Things look to be progressing. Optimism grows every day in my mind. I'm very hopeful now that college football will be played. But as I said, hope can be a very dangerous thing because that opens up the opportunity for extreme disappointment. Both of you, I want to know, today, on a scale of 1 to 10, how optimistic are you that this college football season will be played? Uh, like an 8 or a 9 at this point. I mean, I, I think the season will start. I don't think it'll – I mean, I, I don't know, but I, I think there's a chance that it might not finish. Um, but I think at this point it's probably going to start. I mean, look, if the NC State cluster and the cluster at Notre Dame wasn't enough to cancel the season, then – at this point, I'm not sure what would be unless it was just like widespread schools across the country having this issue, but it's just not the case. Um, you know, cases, the number of positive cases across the country are actually on the decline in several states. Um, so I'm just not sure you're going to see these massive clusters at all these schools. But also, like, you know, while some schools have been back in session for a week or two, others are just getting back this week. So we might not even know this answer for another week or so. Um, but at this point, I'm pretty confident that the season will at least get off the ground. I'm just not sure. I, I'm not totally sure and totally convinced it'll finish, just given what I've seen so far. The fact that we already have to move some games around this early is a little bit discouraging. Um, but I do think that they'll try to get it off the ground at the very least. Yeah, I think we're at a 10 in terms of the league actually starting or the the, the season starting. I think that that's pretty much guaranteed at this point. Um, I do have some reservations to whether or not they will stick with it and stay the course and play the season, uh, at least to its entirety. Um, I'm probably like a seven or an eight on that number. Uh, but I, I think it is encouraging to this point that the ACC, the SEC, and the Big 12 have withstood the media pressure um, and the kind of the the Big Ten's attempt to get out in front of this and, and, and for them to be considered a leader in the cancellation movement, um, it's it, it's encouraging that the three conferences have, have stood their ground and, and they haven't they haven't um, started canceling games yet. Uh, that's that's very encouraging. We haven't seen any reports or guys with sources saying that they're all of a sudden reconsidering their position and that they're considering canceling the season or delaying it several months uh, to the spring. So I'm very encouraged. I'm very pleased with, with the conference's decision to stick with it. And ultimately, I think they're making the right decision. 10, 9 or 10 on the season starting. I can't say 10 because I guess 10 would be full confidence, but I'm very, very optimistic. So about a 9 on the season at least starting. Whether it finishes, I mean, that remains to be seen. Obviously, we learned things about this virus that we didn't know every day and the circumstances change every day but regarding the big 10 and their decision to cancel i I read an si article actually that basically described the situation surrounding the big 10's situation to cancel and it was the big 10 university presidents 
basically in trying to make a power move, got cocky, believing that the ACC would follow their lead and be the next cancel. But sources are saying that it was actually Notre Dame and all the tradition and glitz and glamour and money that comes with them that pushed the ACC to hold off on making a decision and attempt to play, even though it was a, a very negative media environment towards the conferences that hadn't canceled. So I found that to be a very interesting point. So for those of you that were 100% against the inclusion of Notre Dame and the ACC for this coronavirus struck season, well, they very well may have saved this coronavirus struck season. But guys, I, I want to pivot now to the actual team that Virginia Tech is putting on the field. A lot of returning guys, a lot of questions, the loss of Hazleton, the loss of Farley, but now the addition of a couple of FCS grad transfers. We have Devin Taylor, who was an All-American type corner at Illinois State. That's an FCS school. We also picked up Chenga Hodge, who was a big time wide receiver, over a thousand receiving yards last season at another FCS school, Villanova. Mike, in your estimation, with these new guys, how quickly can they get acclimated into the Virginia Tech systems, both offensively and defensively? And of the two, who do you expect to make more of an impact for the Hokies this season? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, ordinarily, we'd have these guys considering transferring in a lot earlier than they did. I mean, I think the reason why both of them decided to leave their respective schools was just simply because either school was going to play football, Villanova or Illinois State, um, this fall. So they were looking for an ability to kind of continue to improve their draft stock and their opportunity at the next level. I think both of them have an opportunity to make an impact in Blacksburg. I think as far as who will be more impactful, I, I would lean Changa Hodge only because I think the need is a bit greater at wide receiver um, than it is a defensive back. Don't get me wrong, the Devin Taylor piece, uh, you know, having him join the defense is, it, it's its huge, right? Um, it really helps from a defensive back depth perspective. But overall, like a defensive back, we, we kind of talked about this, like losing Farley sucks and having him not play really sucks. But if there was one position on the field that could kind of withstand that loss and still kind of be okay and weather the storm, it was the secondary. Like that was the one area where we – he pointed to the roster and said they could withstand a major player going down. So without Farley, I think they still would have been okay, but adding Devin Taylor is huge. On the other side, Changa Hodge is almost like a must, right? Like he's got college experience um, at wide receiver. He was a really good player at Villanova. I think he's definitely going to help. Um, he brings a big body receiver to line up on the outside opposite of Trey Turner. I think that's really huge. And, you know, I expect a lot of these wide receivers, um, you know, I know Evan Ferris from Kansas is somebody who could factor into the rotation. I know uh, Jaden Payute is a guy coming in, uh, you know, redshirt freshman who has an opportunity to make an impact. But as far as guys who have, like, legitimate playing experience, um, guys who are, like, grown-up college football wide receivers, I mean, you're getting that with Shane Hodge. And Villanova is not exactly a slouch FCS football school either. So I think having the pedigree and having him come over from there is huge. And then, you know, Devin Taylor being an FCS All-American is fantastic as well. And he'll certainly help the defense, but receiver was a bigger position in need. So I think Hodge is more of an immediate impact player there, even if Devin Taylor does suit up and play a good bit for the Hokies on defense. Yeah. I'm going to go with Hodge in terms of making the most impact. Um, I, I think Tech has the, the requisite bodies at corner to withstand not having Farley. 
it'll obviously make a difference, but I like the depth that they have there already. And I'm not sure that Devin Taylor is going to be able to get himself acclimated that fast. Um, but on, on, on the contrary, all those DBs are really making changes right now because we don't really know what kind of differences we're going to see in the secondary now that Justin Hamilton is running the show. But Changa Hodge, I think, is more equipped to make an immediate impact. I think we've seen receivers tend to make uh, impacts faster and more quickly than other positions on the field. Um, the route tree that that Justin Fuente runs here is not all that complicated if you pay attention. Um, I think that he's going to be able to learn learn that pretty quickly and, and find himself a role here. Uh, and there's certainly an opening, given that Damon Hazleton and Hezekiah Grimsley are no longer on the roster. Um, there are some other guys that he'll be competing with, but I don't think there's anyone else on the roster that has the, the experience uh, that Hodge has, and I think he'll be able to use that in order to get some more playing time. I'm not saying he's going to turn out to be a stud, but – uh, I, I do think he'll make an impact more quickly. And I think in the grand scheme of things, he'll, his impact will be greater. But there certainly is a chance that Taylor finds himself starting opposite Jermaine Waller. Yeah, and, and for me, there's a lot of variables that go into it. One that sticks out, like you guys mentioned, is this guy just showed up in, on campus, I believe, last Friday or something like that. Or maybe it was two Fridays ago. How long has he been, been in COVID protocols? How long is it going to take for him to truly get acclimated into this defense? And for Hodge, the question for me is how does he stack up against the other guys on this roster? We don't know much about fairs, very limited playing time at Kansas, big body guy. I think what they envision him being is a guy who in maybe with limited talent compared to Damon Hazleton can play that big body catch the 50 50 ball in the end zone kind of role. But how does he stack up against a guy like Jaden payout? How does he stack up against, you know, fairs, that all remains to be seen. And Justin Fuente in a limited camp has to make quick decisions on how he's going to distribute the playing time among uh, uh, guys who quite frankly, don't have a lot of experience on the outside playing for the Hokies, whether they have experience or not playing somewhere else. So it, it should be interesting. But speaking of transfers, I hate that this constantly comes up as a Virginia tech fan. It's literally, it's just, demoralizing but Raheem Blackshear <laughs> transfer waiver is denied yes the NCAA said no you're not a quarterback going to Miami you don't get to play sorry about it you should have been on a reality show like Tate Martell was and then maybe we would have given you some special privileges but Raheem Blackshear a guy who by all indications is an explosive back I've seen mock drafts going forward to 2022 that list him as the number eight running back in the 2022 draft class now I know it's early, but that's got to be a good sign, a sign that if he plays, Blackshear could be an instant impact guy on the Virginia Tech offense and all of the news that people are getting from sources on the inside that are at this camp totally agree. He is just a total game changer out of the backfield is what we are all being told. The difference between having a guy like that on the field this season or not is obviously potentially monumental. Interesting circumstances surrounding the transfer. Blackshear did not complete the season with Rutgers, but did not formally enter the transfer portal until December. Questions around the timing of when his coach was fired, when they figured out who the new hire would be, apparently influenced the NCAA. If any of you guys can answer this for me, I'd love to know. If you're the Virginia Tech Compliance Department, if you're Raheem Blackshear, 
if you're the lawyers, what's the argument that you're trying to make here to say, actually, NCAA, you got this one wrong. I should be playing this season. I don't really know. Um, and, and the reason why is because, you know, I thought the Brock Hoffman decision would be a slam dunk on appeal last fall, and it wasn't. And if that's not a slam dunk, then I don't know what is. And I don't know what Blackshear, what Blackshear's argument could be that would be more compelling than Brock Hoffman's was last fall. Um, I really don't know the answer to that. All I know is that somebody has got to figure this out. And it might not be something that's within Virginia Tech's control, but I will tell you, like, there need, within the compliance department, there does need to be some sort of accountability. I haven't heard this much much at all, and maybe, you know, I, I will admit I don't know all the ins and outs that go into, like, how to file these compliance appeals and things of that nature, but, like, all I can say is, like, Virginia Tech hasn't been successful at all, and other schools have, right? So it's either a Virginia Tech problem or it's an NCAA problem. I, I think there's obviously a very real chance that's an NCAA problem, but if it's a paperwork-type issue, an administrative problem that's driving this from the Virginia Tech side, they got to figure that part out too. Even if it doesn't work out for Blackshear, ju just to put them in better position in the future, if there is something they can improve from a process standpoint moving forward um, when it comes to waivers and appeals of waivers if decisions don't go their way, um, I just want to make sure, I, I guess, as – as an alum, a fan of the school, that, you know, they're doing all that they can to make sure that everything is tight on their side. Again, not saying that that's not the case, but I think it's something worth looking into because we've seen a couple of these that could have been a slam dunk, and maybe there's something that can be done differently from a compliance standpoint internally at Virginia Tech. But, hey, if they're doing everything that they're supposed to do, more power to them. I'm all for – um, going after the NCAA because they're not exactly a competent group of people either. Like, um, they, they have plenty of issues that they have to hash out um, on a larger scale for a number of problems, including this transfer portal thing, and they haven't really gotten adequate answers to really any coaches. And Justin Fuente mentioned it himself. He's still trying to figure out kind of what they're looking for in regard to granting immediate eligibility waivers. So I'm not really sure what Virginia Tech's argument will be for Blackshear. I'm intrigued to see how it pans out. I will say that Justin Fuente mentioned in his press conference last week that, you know, he thought that they had a pretty good case to get the thing overturned um, and get Blackshear on the field. But, I mean, who really knows at this point? They felt pretty strongly about their case for Brock Hoffman last year as well. Yeah, Ricky, I mean, we have seen a pattern here with Virginia Tech's waivers just constantly being denied. And when at other Power 5 schools, whether it be Miami, whether it be, you know, schools all across the college football landscape at that Power 5 level who just seem to more often than not get these high-profile transfers, immediate eligibility, it does beg the question of, is there an issue on the internal side for Virginia Tech? Do you think that's a problem? Well, in, in the case of Brock Hoffman, um, I think that there was a different route that could have been taken, from my understanding, that was not on Virginia Tech, and that was more so on the family of Brock Hoffman. Um, I don't have all the details on that, but from what I have been told, something could have been done differently in that case um, that, would have that may have resulted in, in, in something different. Um, but in, in, in terms of the... 
the broader issue that is immediate transfers, um, it doesn't, frankly, it doesn't really matter if you know what the ins and outs are because there is no clear, consistent standard that's been presented by the NCAA. Um, this has been a joke now for at least two or three seasons. Everyone knows it. Um, people inside the NCA would probably tell you this off the record, but they, they obviously can't talk about it on the record. It's an absolute farce that the NCA has not presented a clear and consistent standard as to what it takes for players to be immediately eligible. Um, we see all sorts of circumstances across the country and the circumstances can be extremely similar, yet we see different results. We see different results for different schools. We see different results for different positions. Um, and frankly, it, it's, it's extremely nauseating. So I, I have no idea what the issue is here. Um, I have no idea if the Virginia Tech Compliance Department is, is missing the boat on something. Um, I would be more apt to believe that it's the NCAA's own incompetence uh, that has caused these issues. And I'm not confident that we're going to see any of these issues resolved in the near future. Yeah. I, I mean, something's got to change. Right. And in all likelihood, it's the NCAA. But like I said before, as a Virginia Tech fan, whether it be the Landers Nally situation with the academics, whether it be what we saw with Brock Hoffman last year, whether it be even at the quarterback position, not getting immediate eligibility for Braxton Burmeister last year. And now with Blackshear, who by all indications could be an extremely major contributor for the Hokies. It's just, you feel like a beaten dog at some point because it's hope for the best, expect the worst, but now it's hard to even hope for hope for the best because you just think it's not going to happen. Speaking of Braxton Burmeister, I, I think that through the Justin Fuente era at the quarterback position, we haven't seen a lot of continuity, right? There's been different quarterbacks year in and year out. What we have seen continuity in, however, is Justin Fuente's insistence that training camp is a quarterback battle. and He's not going to announce the starter until right before the season starts, which begs the question. You have Hendon Hooker. We know about Hendon Hooker. We know how Hendon Hooker turned this team around last year. They were a significantly better team record wise, advanced statistic wise, what have you, when Hendon Hooker was behind center last year. Most assume Hooker, the front runner. On the other side, Burmeister, the now eligible Braxton Burmeister, brings a lot to the table as well. Sources have told me that Burmeister is faster than Hendon Hooker, which knowing how fast Hendon Hooker is, is a major statement what struck me even more is Justin Fuente going out and calling Burmeister the most athletic quarterback on the team, which is a jarring statement on a team that has Quincy Patterson and Hendon Hooker. I've heard Quincy not really in the running. From what I've been told, in, in camp, you have Hooker providing a lot of what we saw last year in terms of the consistency, right? Very steady, the experienced guy, played with this team before. For Burmeister, more athletic, I've heard, more of a risk taker, more of a gunslinger, but he's been getting away with those risks so far. I've been told that Hooker hasn't looked like the best quarterback so far. Not that he's looked bad, but Burmeister has outshined him. Now, that's just one man's opinion. 
but for you guys, knowing what Hendon Hooker did for this team last season, do you think there is a chance that Braxton Burmeister is the starting quarterback week one for Virginia Tech? Do you think that's off the table, or do you think it's still kind of a wait-and-see thing? So I, I don't, I'm not sure there's any chance that Braxton Burmeister is the starting quarterback in week one. Now, do I think he could start later on in the year? Yeah, sure. Um, if it's as close as everybody's suggesting that it is in camp, from people on the inside, then yeah, sure. Braxton Burmeister could could start later on in the season. I think in a COVID-shortened fall, um, I guess it's now going to be extended one week as of today with the NC State news. Um, but in a COVID-shortened fall camp, um, knowing what you have is paramount. I mean, I, I think having Hendon Hooker show what he showed last year, um, the consistency, uh, the ability uh, to make all the throws um, to provide a calming presence to the offense. How much better the offense was when he was in was evident um, versus Ryan Willis. And, you know, you talk about gunslinger and risk taker. I mean, Virginia Tech went down that road with with Ryan Willis last year. It didn't turn out well in September. Now, I I get that Burmeister's a faster player, different quarterback, all that. But as far as, like, boomer bust mentality as a passer from what it sounds like. I mean, we already went through that experience last year with Ryan Willis throughout the month of September. Um, so I would be surprised if Justin Fuente went with, went with Braxton Burmeister in week one. Also, like, I'm not sure Justin Fuente can afford to do that given his, like, given his status with the fan base currently. And quite honestly with, um, you know, really high-ranking members. You know, they, they there are people who um, are all in on Justin Fuente. There are people who obviously, because of recruiting and everything else and slow starts last year and six wins a year before, are very skeptical of Justin Fuente. There's, it's a very polarized fan base in that regard. If he were to start Braxton Burmeister, especially with the defense Virginia Tech's returning consistency they bring back on both sides of the football, if you were to start Braxton Burmeister instead of the sure thing and hooker and things went south, I'm not sure Justin Fuente could recover from it, quite honestly. So I, I think Hendon Hooker is the starter week one. I think if the offensive coaching staff feels like Braxton Burmeister um, will provide more upside later on in the season and feel like he's ready, I think maybe you throw him in then. But I think it's Hendon Hooker's offense, guys. Um, and I'd be very surprised if they weren't, to start, weren't going to start him week one. I think it would be a mistake just given all the uncertainty um, surrounding the games in front of Virginia Tech this year and the importance of continuity from a coaching staff standpoint and a player standpoint, I think is more paramount than it ever has been across college football. And I think having that returning starter quarterback is huge. And I think that's why you have to start Hooker week one. What happens after that, though, I think it's totally up for debate, especially if Burmeister is as good as everybody says he is. Yeah, Mike. And it's a tricky situation, right? Because Justin Fuente's job as the head football coach at Virginia Tech is to win football games. His job is to build a roster, to analyze the talent that he has on that roster, to analyze how well they play together, to formulate a game plan that will ultimately give them the best chance to win the most possible football games. If it wasn't for that, he's not going to be making the millions of dollars anymore. He's not going to be the head football coach at Virginia Tech. At the same time, you make a good point. Justin Fuente, in an interesting position with the fans, some support, some really heavy opposition. 
but if he goes out there with Burmeister in week one and we get upset by UVA, imagine the blowback. Imagine there'd be people calling for his head. I think that it's the devil you know versus the devil you don't. But at the same time, I've always been adamant. Because college football is the business of winning football games. It's not about making friends. It's not about making people happy. It's about winning football games. And you have to, at your heart of hearts, put the team on the field that you believe gives you the best chance to win the football game. I don't know enough about the situation. I'm not at practice. I hear things from practice. I'm not at practice. I haven't seen it with my own eyes. I'm not Justin Fuente, who is paid to evaluate talent. But he is in a very tricky situation. And if he does go with Burmeister, I'll trust his judgment and I'll support it. But it's a very risky move from, I don't know if public relations standpoint is the right word, but it certainly has a far greater potential to receive blowback if it doesn't go well than if he started Hendon Hooker. So why are we discussing benching a starting quarterback who completed over 61% of his passes, had over 10 yards per attempt, 13 touchdowns to two picks? Why are we discussing benching that person over someone through two years at Oregon completed less than 57% of his passes and has two touchdowns to six interceptions. Why is that being discussed? I, I, I still don't understand it. I don't understand the fascination with Braxton Burmeister. I don't care that he is an excellent athlete. I really couldn't care less. Hendon Hooker's ability to get the offense moving at an efficient pace and at an explosive pace at times last year was terrific given that Hendon Hooker had zero game experience coming in, zero legitimate game experience. He, he played in garbage time a few times. Hendon Hooker completely transformed that offense last year. Hendon Hooker is the reason that Virginia Tech was able to drag themselves out of the doldrums of the Duke debacle. And we're talking about benching this guy? I don't get it. I, I, I don't understand. I think people that are trying to blow up Braxton Burmeister are blowing smoke. Um, I, there is no reason to believe that Braxton Burmeister should be competing for this job. And quite honestly, I don't understand why people are automatically assuming that Braxton Burmeister should be the backup. Or we're just going to act like Quincy Patterson didn't do a lot last year. Now, was he limited? Of course, Th that, that, that was, that was clear just watching the games. And if you look at his stat lines, but Quincy Patterson served admirably as a backup last year, and he has way more experience with this offense than Braxton Burmeister has. And in a limited preparation time, it makes no sense to me to automatically assume that a guy who was running scout team last year all of a sudden needs to be the backup quarterback or, hell, even the starter over someone who really turned around Virginia Tech's season almost single-handedly. So I'm, I've been lost on the Braxton Burmeister hype from the beginning. I don't get it. Uh, he did not impress at Oregon. Um, I, I, I just don't understand. I think people are are not understanding how good Hendon Hooker was last year and how efficient Hendon Hooker was last year. Um, and I think people need to give him more credit. Well, Ricky, I mean, to play devil's advocate, though, when Braxton Burmeister played at Oregon. He was a true freshman that was thrust into the spotlight that certainly wasn't ready to do 
failure to play college football at a high level. I, I think it's unfair to judge him off that. I think that if Hendon Hooker had been thrust into the spotlight at the same age, you probably would have seen similar results. And the question is, has he improved? Who is he now? Who is he today? And I don't, I mean, again, I have never personally watched Braxton Burmeister play football. I can only go based off of what I have heard, right? I can only go based off of what the sources on the inside have said. And seemingly pretty universally, they say the kid is very, very good. Well, what are they going to do? They're going to tell you he's bad. I mean, yeah, they they would. I mean, they could say that. Hendon Hooker I, I've was never. I've out. never had a coach tell me that a kid was bad. I'm talking about people I know who who have been at the practices, who who okay, watched but- the scout team, and and I mean, I'm just trusting their judgment. For all I know, their judgment could be wrong. But if their judgment is true, that this is really a serious QB battle, and if that Braxton Burmeister is in fact the better quarterback. Just basing, you know, past performance isn't necessarily indicative that going with that guy again will bring the best possible future results. I'm not trying to rag on Hendon Hooker at all. I think Hendon Hooker is a great quarterback. But for all we know, Braxton Burmeister could be some Johnny football type quarterback or something like that that we just don't know about because we haven't seen. Yeah, and because again, he has, I'm not, he has I'm not, zero track record, and Hendon Hooker has a track record of being productive. And to me, that track record of success and productivity is far more important, far outweighs some some practice person telling people that Braxton Burmeister is for real and he can do it when things aren't live. Was that not the argument that you could make for Ryan Willis last year when there was supposedly a quarterback battle? I was making the argument for Ryan Willis, but in, but Ryan Willis, until he went out there and stunk up the place— he deserved to be the starter. But when he went out there and stunk up the place, he got benched. That's how this works. I don't think you can bench Hendon Hooker for going out there and throwing 13 touchdowns to two picks over a guy who's never once played a down for Virginia Tech football. And the last time he was playing a down at the Power 5 level, he was stinking up the joint. It was a long time ago. I don't though. think you can do it in week I, I don't. I don't think you can do that in week one. Like, I agree with Ricky. I don't think you can do it in week one. But – I think if the offense is just kind of vanilla, which I, based on what Hendon Hooker did last year, I'd have a really hard time believing that. But let's say that the offense, um, it, it looks a bit more conservative than we expect it to be, which is certainly possible with, um, you know, some of the skill position guys at receiver that they're missing and things like that. Like, let's say the offense doesn't click like it did a year ago, right? And say that Virginia Tech is looking to shake it up then it wouldn't surprise me if they went with a guy with a kid at quarterback who's a little bit more athletic, a little bit faster than Hendon Hooker down the line. I don't think you can do it in week one. Uh, but look, if Braxton Burmeister is a starter in week one over Hendon Hooker, a guy who literally turned the program around and saved Justin Fuente's job last year, I think we can honestly say that Burmeister would have earned that um, and that we can trust the coaching staff because at the end of the day, they're going to have to live with that decision one way or another. Um, and it'll be really interesting to see what happens here. I think it's a lot of smoke being blown. I, I think Hooker is the guy week one. But if it's Burmeister, he certainly would have earned it, in my opinion. I don't think Puente would go down that road unless he really believed that he was the guy. I agree that what, what you're saying is that Hooker will be the starter. I, I certainly believe that to be true. I've always just been a guy who – I mean, I'm all, I'm all basing this off theoreticals, right? Just if Burmeister is the better quarterback – you should go with him. I don't know whether that's true or not. Again, only time will tell, but I would expect to see Hendon Hooker as the quarterback in week one. And that's a quarterback who 
I can say that I am relatively Actually, I'd say more than relatively. I'm confident in his ability to lead this offense because we have seen what he can do, and it has been a very good showing so far. Got to mention real quick, the Hokie Hangover podcast is brought to you by our good friends at Main Street Pharmacy. Main Street Pharmacy on South Main Street in downtown Blacksburg is the best pharmacy in the New River Valley. I'm telling you, whether you're a student or someone who lives around here, just as a, as a professional, a professor, what have you, do you want a pharmacy that looks at you as just a number of one of their millions of customers who they can price gouge and not really care about and never have a relationship? Or do you want to go to a pharmacy that truly cares about you? If you do, you got to head down to Main Street Pharmacy in downtown Blacksburg. Main Street Pharmacy, the official pharmacy of the Hokey Hangover podcast. I forgot to get a bagel from Jeremy today i should have done that all right last thing i want to touch on and we don't have to go too in depth into this mike tell us about what happened on the recruiting trail over the past few days yeah um virginia tech continues to add um talent to the recruiting class but again um virginia tech looks like they're going to strike out in the top 10 in virginia which is significant to note um tyleek williams uh a kid out of uh, formerly Stonewall Jackson High School, now it's Unity Reed High School um, in Manassas, Virginia, a place that has produced Reggie Floyd, Greg Stroman, Tim Settle, a lot of guys who have played football at Virginia Tech. It's become one of those pipeline schools for the Hokies. Tyleek Williams, uh, four-star defensive tackle, looks like he was leaning Virginia Tech, um, but Ohio State now looks like they have a committable offer for them. And Ohio State, the number one recruiting class in the country, looks like they are going to poach Tyleek Williams uh, from the Hokies. At least that's what every single recruiting site seems to be saying at this point. He's supposed to make his decision probably by the time this podcast comes out on Thursday. Um, his decision will already have been made for Ohio State. So that's a big miss for Virginia Tech. They continue to acquire um, solid mid-tier three-star talent, um, guys who you would like at Virginia Tech to be kind of the – um, guys to build your recruiting class around, um, or at least, you know, have them be the basis of your recruiting class. Now, Virginia Tech needs to find a way, and I'm not sure they're going to be able to do it now in this class just because there's not that many four-stars left on their radar. They need to find a way to get over the hump and get more consistent composite four-star talent. Um, DJ Harvey has a four-star 24-7 rating. Um, but, look, if Virginia Tech doesn't get a composite four-star guy, uh, this recruiting class, they would have only had one now over the last two recruiting classes um, with Robert Wooten being that one out of Texas last year. Um, so that's something that needs to change for Virginia Tech. I think they've done some things a little bit better this recruiting cycle, specifically in state um, in regards to making sure that they're pulling guys out of the state of Virginia and making that a priority. I think they've done a good job of that overall. Um, but they're still missing on elite talent. And at the end of the day, that's what you're going to need to compete against the likes of Clemson in the ACC. So they got talent in the class. I like the recruiting class a lot, but I mean, <laughs> you are what your ranking says that you are, at least on paper, going into your collegiate career. And Virginia Tech's coaching staff to date has not done a great job the last two recruiting cycles of pulling in four-star talent. And that certainly needs to change. Ricky, you got any thoughts on the recruiting recently? Yeah, it's not good. <laughs> I mean, I've, I, I I don't really know what anyone wants me to say. Uh, Tech's recruiting has not improved. Um, 
there were some hopes that they would be able to get guys like Tyler Williams or Kevin Gilliam or um, Landon Watson, and they were unable to get any of these guys. Naquan Brown, they, they, they struck out. Um, and they're going to strike out on probably a lot of their big targets, mainly or maybe even all of their big targets in this class. It, it's extremely disappointing. Tech is 10th in the ACC right now, both in overall class ranking and recruit average rating, uh, which I think is a more important statistic. Um, 10th in the ACC ain't going to cut it. it. It just isn't. Tech's not supposed to be a 10th out of 14 in the conference. Um, and I don't know what specific actions are going to be able to turn this around. I understand that Justin Fuente has a new staff for the most part. Um, he is, he is, this, this is his, this is his staff. Now uh, he has constructed this coaching staff entirely on his own. Um, there are no more built-in excuses uh, there are no more accusations of differing philosophy or anything like that. Um, they've got to go out there and they've got to sign kids that can make this program better. And I am basing my opinion off of the people that study these kids closer than anyone. Um, there is an argument to be made that evaluations are going to be all over the place this year because um, senior seasons are either going to be A, non-existent, or B, cut short. Uh, but judging this class based of what the experts are saying and the people that study these kids and project these kids and do this for a living, um, there, I have very little confidence that this class is going to be able to elevate Virginia tech into a place that it wants to be. Um, and I don't think there's any way around that. Yep. I mean, Right. But I mean, you never know. We'll wait and see. Evaluation is harder in the era of COVID. And I, I think it will, given that a lot of high school football isn't going to be played, we're going to, you'll see a lot of surprises, guys that outperform their ranking. There'll be guys who you probably say, oh, wow, they definitely underperformed. So you but never still, really know. Isn't it, isn't it discouraging that they have struck out on every single elite target they've had over the last two years? I'd be lying if I said it wasn't. I mean, that's that's not good. I mean, there's there is no way to to sugarcoat that. And um, I, I I fully understand if if people want to take the optimistic route, but you can only be optimistic for so long in the face of such bad data. And this is that's what we've got right now. We've got two years of bad data. Um that we need to be looking at and the, the two year prognosis of the recruiting trail is not good. Yep. I mean, hopefully they can make a splash late. That's, that's all you can hope for at this point in all seriousness. But okay. I think we have gone long enough here. Thank you guys for listening to the Hokey Hangover podcast. The Hokey Hangover podcast brought to you by Main Street Pharmacy. Main Street Pharmacy in downtown Blacksburg, the best pharmacy in the New River Valley. Dr. Jeremy Counts and his wonderful staff will take care of you. I can promise you that. Go follow Jeremy on Twitter. He's the Hokey Pharmacist guy. He may seem a little strange, but I'm, I promise he's pretty funny. He's pretty funny. I, I, Jeremy is a, is a really good guy. Uh, I am Andrew Alex, Mike McDaniel, and Ricky LeBlue. You got any last messages for the people? 
Um, for all my all those people listening in the Gulf area, please stay safe. Uh, be smart. My grandmother is outside of Houston, so this affects me personally. But um, just just be smart. Take every precaution possible. Um, we're we're definitely praying for you. Um, we don't get a, a ton of severe hurricanes up here in the 757, but for all those people down there in, in the Gulf, they see this stuff on a consistent basis. Um, but unfor- unfortunately, they're going to be hit by a pretty severe storm. So um, stay safe, everyone. Take care, and uh, we're, we're definitely thinking of you. Michael? Uh, Ricky said it best. Yeah, be safe down there in the uh, in the Gulf area. And for the students listening to this in in Blacksburg, you know, if you're a current student of Virginia Tech, uh, continue to take this thing seriously and take all the precautions necessary. Not only to make sure that there's sports and and things like that for us to watch, but just for your overall well-being. Um, just keep masking up around campus as you return back to school. Yeah, and even if you're not scared of COVID and you're like, I'm 19 or 20 or 21, 22, whatever, and you don't think you're going to be affected, I promise you this, getting suspended from Virginia Tech for a semester, possibly even more, probably not worth that party that you want to go to. I think that it'll be a, a, a good decision in the long run. Remember, folks, this is only temporary. Like This is only temporary. We don't know how long it's going to last, but we know it's not going to last forever. So just... Hang in there. Keep doing what you're supposed to be doing. Brighter days are ahead. And hopefully, even in this crazy time, we can have a pretty good football team to keep morale up here in Blacksburg and for all the alumni that are located all around the country and even around the world. All right, folks, thanks for listening to the Hokie Hangover podcast. Remember, subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at Hokie Hangover. Follow our individual accounts. Ricky is Ricky LeBlue. Mike McDaniel is Mike McDaniel VT. I am Andrew Alex Radio. Uh, tell your friends about the podcast if you like it. Read these guys' articles online. They're both writing. Ricky's writing on Ricky writing on RickyLeBlue.com again. Yes, yes, we are. And Mike's on SunsOfSaturday.com. I think you guys will both probably be putting stuff out relatively soon. That's definitely worth reading. You know, our our time at SLI might have been short, but we got a lot of positive feedback, and we appreciate everyone who's reached out during that period of time. COVID does suck. It causes layoffs. It is what it is. We're not the only people in the world that have to deal with this stuff, but we still got the energy. We still got the passion, and, and we're going to come at you this football season with more analysis on all kinds of platforms than ever before. So you guys have that to look forward to. And again, we appreciate anyone who reads the stuff, listens to the podcast, supports us generally, and supports the Hokies. So until next time, we'll be back soon. Again, football season approaching. Every day is one step closer, and we'll be at it with more content than ever. So we'll see you guys soon. Thanks for listening, and until then, go Hokies.